Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycles of people, places, things, events, entities, and more. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. (laughs) And today, Sarah, I am doing a listener suggestion of where did Millie Vanilli's voices go? <gasps> I love it. And this is a really interesting suggestion because it's something I've, I'd never really considered. Uh, and I'll, I'll give some background on who Millie Vanilli were because uh, you and I are probably familiar. And a lot of people are probably familiar, but it's probably fading out of public consciousness at this point. Uh, so I'll give background of who Millie Vanilli were. And why we would care about their voices. Millie and Vanilli were a, an R&B group. Uh, two young men, uh, Fabrice Morvan, I might be mispronouncing that, and Rob Pilatus. It might be Pilatus. I'm not sure. Two young men met and were working in Germany. They were dancers. They were singers. And they were hired by Frank Farian, who is a music producer. And he made them stars. Uh, he had them do a cover of a uh, what was a popular discotheque song in Munich at the time, Munich, Germany, uh, called Girl, You Know It's True. And they had some European success with Girl, You Know It's True. And they slapped together an EP. And they started spending time in the United States and in Europe Uh, touring, doing live shows. Uh, They sold a ton of records and they had uh, multiple number one hits, three total number one hits, five top 10 Billboard songs from one album. They were doing performances on MTV. They were wildly famous. They won a Grammy. They are also the only people who have ever been forced to return their Grammy. (gasps) They had to return it? They had to return it. (laughs) Oh, Yeah, so this is the, this is a very sad story in a lot of ways, and it's also a kind of an okay story in some ways. So it's it's happier and sadder than I remembered, uh, which is I guess kind of how we go, how we do things. So Millie Vanilli uh, became wildly famous uh, for lip syncing, and not just lip syncing in using a backing track when performing live. That's a pretty common practice, particularly if people give very athletic live shows. Uh, Britney Spears is actually pretty famous for using backing tracks uh, and it is, but it's Britney Spears voice recorded and then her using a backing track and often singing along to the backing track. So it just sort of like smooths over any little hiccups that might've come from doing a big jump or a kick or a dance or whatever. It's also not entirely uncommon to use a different fronts person for a singer. And this is particularly common for background singers. Uh, a good example would be uh, CNC Music Factory. They used, let me look up her name. Gonna make you sweat till you bleed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. I, I had her name right. So CNC Music Factory has a song called Everybody Dance Now. And there's a woman singing in the song, Everybody Dance Now. And she's doing some scatting in the background. This was done by Martha Wash, who was one of the weather girls who did the song It's Raining Men. 
Martha Wash is an astonishingly good singer. She's very, very talented. She is also fat. And that is something that in the 80s and early 90s, you couldn't be publicly and be considered like worth treating like human being in a lot of ways. So what CNC Music Factory did, I'm not sure who made the decision, but somebody made the decision to have a very slim model lip sync to Martha Wash's part in that CNC Music Factory song. And Martha Wash said it was like watching or having someone rip the voice out of your throat. Uh, She was not happy with the decision. Of course not. But that was kind of a thing people did. And for a background singer who had a hit in either the late 70s or the early 80s, uh, it it was not considered as big of a deal. It wasn't a career breaker for CNC Music Factory. Now, what Millie and Vanilli, or Millie and Vanilli, I sound like an old lady. Now, what happened with Millie Vanilli is Rob Pilatus and uh, Fab Morvan, it's probably pronounced, it's a French name, so it's probably pronounced totally differently. Those two did not sing at all on the album. They were uh, hired ostensibly to sing but that's not what ended up happening they were very good dancers they were very good looking young men they were i believe 21 or 22 and when this really kicked off uh they had distinctive style they'd wear like high high top knee length boots and spandex shorts and suits and they had uh locks in their hair or braids so they were very sort of visually distinctive they were active dancers they were good looking so they were good fronts people for a singing group but they did not sing on the album at all so how did this all fall apart because they weren't the only people in on it so I started with sort of the public story and then it all falls apart. So here's how it fell apart. And then I'll, I'll go into each individual involved in this and where they, go, where they went. So it falls apart. It starts when Charles Shaw, who did the rapping on uh, the album, it was, it was released as Girl You Know It's True in the United States. He started talking about his involvement. He was frustrated he wasn't getting credited. He wanted to make it. And he was seeing these two men get really, really popular on his work. So Frank Farian actually paid him $150,000 to formally retract his statement. And then either Frank, Frank Farian is the producer. He either fired him or Charles quit. It's kind of a mixed bag as to what happened. Uh, this is one of those stories where depending on who you talk to and what the source is and when they were talking about it, the stories all are all slightly different as to who knew what and who agreed to what. So, which makes sense. It was dramatic. There's legal implications. And it happened over 30 years ago. So Charles was replaced by John Davis for the remaining work, for any, like, voiceover work and stuff like that. He was still in the background. Uh, so Rob and Fab ended up performing so this has already happened so charles has been spilling the beans but formally retracted charles shaw rob and fab are performing on mtv and the backing track starts skipping and girl you know it's true it never said true it's girl you know it's girl you know it's girl you know it. <laughs> it's a very famous television moment and so they freaked out and ran off stage and locked themselves in their tour bus they, they were convinced that, that everything was going to fall apart. And these are two men who are Im- not legal citizens of the United States. They're 21 years old, and they've just been publicly found out as, like, 
not singing. So they didn't know whether it would be okay or not. So downtown Julie Brown, who is an MTV VJ, uh, which would be video jockey, and I'm not sure that that means anything anymore to anyone under the age of 25. But anyway, uh, she was a television personality. We'll go with that. It was like a web blogger. Yeah. Web blogs. Yeah. It would, a YouTube personality would be a similar. Yes. Very. Somewhat similar. Anyway, uh, she ran out to their tour bus, cussed them out, and then like forced them to finish the set. Uh, and they did fine. They were very well received. This was, uh, they didn't end up getting like caught caught. Uh, they won a Grammy. I think they performed at the Grammys. They did. Uh, yeah. And there was no skipping of the tracks and stuff like that. Um, there was one live performance and it was either in Wisconsin or Minnesota. I'm not sure which, where the backing track never started playing. So they were like ready to go and there was nothing. <laughs> oh no. Uh, and I think that ended up getting fixed and they didn't freak out too much about it, but they didn't get caught and they had their Grammy and they wanted, they started pressuring Frank Farian to let them sing on the next album. They insisted on recording for the next album. So it's a mixed story as to what happened. Frank may have fired them and then released a statement detailing who actually sang, or it may have been first that Fab and Rob held a press conference uh, explaining what happened, telling their side of the story, and they sang and rapped at the conference to prove they could perform to try to continue on as their own group. So this has all fallen apart. I be- it was either late 1989 or early 1990. There is massive legal fallout. Uh, there was a class action lawsuit in Ohio. It was estimated that at least 1,000 Ohio residents had bought the album. There were class action Uh, refund lawsuits against Arista Records and against Rob and Fab. Uh, There were settlements about refunds for concerts and refunds for recordings and estimated 10 million buyers were eligible to claim a refund and they could keep the refunded recordings. Uh, The deadline passed 8th of March, 1992. So you cannot get a refund for your Milli Vanilli uh, discs and CDs uh, <laughs> and cassettes and whatever ha- you have. This was sort of devastating for them. So where did everyone go after this? Because this is kind of where the story stops for a lot of the public consciousness is Robin Fab lied, uh, but then there's no like discussion of... Where did the actual singers go? Where did Robin Fab go? What happened to Frank Farian? Did he have to do anything about, or did he get in trouble for this? The answer for, so I'll start with Frank Farian. Not really. Uh, he was a German music producer. He had already recorded parts of what we become, Girl You Know It's True, in studio prior to finding Robin Fab. Uh, the title song was a cover, as I said, of a pos- popular discotheque tune. Uh, he discovered Robin Fab, who had previously already recorded an album and released it on just sort of indie on their own, uh, like a demo tape almost. And they were working as dancers in Munich. So their story is, for Robin's Fab story is, he asked them if they could sing. They said yes. He said that's good enough. He had them try to record vocals and he didn't like their voices. So he just used the re- already recorded material, promising Robin Fab they could do more singing later. Frank Farian brought in Brad Howell in the dead of night 
when recording the EP so that the other people recording, there were, there were twin sisters who did the background vocals and then Charles Shaw who did the rapping uh, and then Fab and Rob wouldn't suspect. So there's, like I said, the more people you talk to, the more versions of this story you kind of get. He basically um, went back to Germany (laughs) (laughs) and he started developing similar uh, Euro dance groups. He developed the group La Bouche, which did the song Be My Lover. And I believe Le Click, which which song did Le Click do? I'm sure that there was like we if we heard him, we would know him. (laughs) <laughs> so he kept on doing productions uh he has produced different groups he's produced shows he lives in miami florida he has kept on so that's that he is quite he is older he is 79 and he worked from 1958 when he was 17 up to now he's still working he worked with meatloaf at one point he worked with a group called boney m yeah so he's still working, Frank Farian. So that's it's, where the producer went. It's so sad because it seems like Rob and Fab got like the fallout from all of this when really it was the producer. It was. Uh, and I'll go into a bit of why uh, why they ended up getting a lot of the grief for it. Um, but a yeah, big part it- of it was they were the front of it kind of like how miss cleo gets accused of being a fraud when she was just an actress hired to act in commercials yeah um now these two men knew that they didn't sing on this album and they were adults yes they were not 16 years old this was not one of those it was it was a predatory situation but it wasn't dealing with minors things like that Anyway, I'll go in, into Rob and Fab, or Rob Pilatus and Fabrice Morvan, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing those names. Rob may have been born in New York or Munich. He was definitely raised in Germany. He was adopted at the age of four uh, because his father was a black American soldier and his mother was a German uh, stripper. And so uh, he had kind of a rough upbringing, and he met Fab in Paris and they became friends and then they reunited back in Munich where Rob had been living they lived together they recorded a small indie album he worked as a dancer they both worked as dancers and poverty was the name of the game they had to steal food to live Um, this is 1988 in Munich so this is not the easiest time to be in Germany honestly Mm -hmm. Uh, Fabrice may have been born in Guadeloupe or France Guadeloupe is a, an island in the West Indies. It's owned by France or, or controlled or is a territory of France or something. Or he was born in France. It's kind of a mixed story. Then he met Rob in Paris, moved to Munich, worked as a dancer. They were both discovered by Frank Farian and brought on to front the group. They went through the whole fallout with each other and they stuck together. Uh, they recorded as Rob and Fab for a while in the 90s with minor success. Rob, unfortunately, had serious issues with drug addiction, and Fab helped him by helping pay for rehab, and they stuck together as, you know, a pair through the whole thing. And unfortunately, the night of the launch of a promotional tour for Rob and Fab, the Back and In Attack album, Rob died of a drug overdose. Oh, how sad. Yes. Uh Fab has continued to perform and is has a, had a solo album with some success in the 2000s. 
And interestingly enough, Fab Morvan in 2015 was in the recording studio with the singer whose voice he mimicked during Millie Vanilli's rise to fame. Uh, it's John Davis. So he's worked, they, he has at least worked with John Davis, who was one of the behind the scenes vocalists. Uh, and the quote from Davis is everyone knew Fab didn't sing, but had no idea he actually could sing and really great. Wow. Fab is still performing and, uh, it seems like there's no or low ill will with at least some of the people that uh, worked behind the scenes on the album, Girl, You Know It's True. Uh, so it is very unfortunate that Rob passed away. It's been 22 years now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the stress was from how much negative attention he and Fab got and then also his adopted family received from people. Uh, I think a lot of the legal fallout resulted in a lot of personal um, tabloid unpleasantness Yeah, that they were both put through. And they had been interviewed while they were famous and, uh, you know, often misquoted and stuff like that. Much like when the Beatles indicated that pop music was becoming more popular than religion. And then it was said that, I don't remember if it's John or Paul was accused of saying that they were more popular than Jesus or something. <laughs> Um, a similar thing happened to, I believe it was Rob, uh, in that he was quoted as saying he was better than Elvis. And he never actually said that. I believe he said something along the lines of their popularity and fame was getting to Elvis levels or something like that. So it uh, was turned against them. All right. So now we're into the people behind the scenes. So let's start with Linda and Jody Rocco. They're twins from America who were working as singers in Munich in 1988. They were backup singers for the EP that became Girl, You Know It's True. And they were paid around 2,000 Deutschmarks for their work, which is about 600 bucks. Absolutely no royalties. Uh, they were kept away from Fab and Rob and prevented from being photographed with them. They weren't allowed much time in the studio with them. Per uh, Jody's account, Fab and Rob would show up, hang out in the studio a little, go spend time in the pool associated with the studio. So apparently the studio had a pool. Uh, not much singing done. But everything was kind of shuffled around and passed off as normal by Frank Farian. So it was just kind of a, oh, they'll get to their part later, or oh, don't worry about that. Oh, it's whatever. So when the story broke that Millie Vanilli were lip syncing, uh, Jody and Linda were only interviewed once. And you can actually see uh, a photocopy of a photocopy of a picture of a photocopy of the original <laughs> newspaper article on therealmillyvanilli.com, uh, which is a website associated both with the story behind Millie Vanilli and a group that I'll talk about later. Uh, Linda, uh, Jody and Linda were actually threatened by Frank Ferry and not to speak to the press, and they were threatened with being blacklisted from working. Uh, Jody had already moved back to the United States. She wasn't too worried about it, but Linda actually didn't work for two years after that. Uh, uh, uh. And they have both given interviews since, and uh, including Oprah did a where where are they now, Millie Vanilli, and talked about the voices behind Millie Vanilli. Uh, both Jody and Linda have continued to make music with groups such as Supermax or The Flirts. And they both have a pretty substantial online presence, including social media. So if you uh, Google Jody Rocco, R-O-C-C-O, or Linda Rocco, you can find both of them. 
So they are locatable and still working. And uh, neither of them got caught up much in the legal fallout, probably because they weren't involved as much as ma- in making money. They made whatever they made for the studio time, and that was it. So uh, next, we'll talk about Charles Shaw, who was the one who started spilling the beans and then got paid to stop um, and got fired. So he was a U.S. Army vet. He was paid around $6,000 to rap on Millie Vanilli's single, Girl, You Know It's True. He started talking about it to journalists a little bit, and then uh, Frank Farian tried to put a stop to that. In... uh, 1991, uh, Frank Farian relaunched the group uh, as the real Millie Vanilli. Now, there <laughs> that is takes a... some balls. Oh yeah. I, well, one of the reasons that he did it is they'd already recorded a whole album. Now, was Charles Shaw on this album or not? I've seen sources that say yes, he was. I'm so, I've seen sources that say no, John Davis was the rapper on there. Uh, so. And the album is called The Moment of Truth, which is cute. And I'll talk to you about why it's cute in just a second. Uh, and they renamed the group eventually uh, Try and B. Like try and B, but try <laughs> the letter N, the letter B. Anyway, so that didn't last terribly long. They lasted through 1992. In 1998, he was arrested in Germany as part of an embezzlement investigation. Uh, and... He continued to sing. He sang a song in 1994 and in 1995. And that's about it. I don't know if he went to prison or not for the embezzlement charges, but it was specifically about potentially allegedly stealing money to be invested in a 1996 Real Millie Vanilli tour of Hungary. What? What? So uh, he got tangled up in this. He's still alive as far as I know. And... uh, I don't know if he's in prison or not. I did not watch the Oprah thing, admittedly, so they might say in there. So, wait, he was the rapper on the Millie, the original Millie Vanilli that got in trouble. Yes. He was later on the Try and Be record. Maybe. Maybe. He embezzled money so that he could be part of the try and be tour alleged so he allegedly embezzled money that would have gone toward the try and be tour in oh, hungary oh okay all right he wasn't trying to make the group make it he allegedly cuz i i don't know if he was convicted and i don't need a lawyer calling me and being like you have defamed charles shaw on your podcast <laughs> i got no problem with charles shaw more power to him uh, yeah. Okay. I was just confused. I was like, okay, this that's is, strange. This is very confusing. <laughs> it's convoluted. Like all these people, how they're, you know, interacting and stuff. I had no idea that Millie Vanilli kind of continued on. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, now let's talk about John Davis. John Davis was ostensibly brought on to replace Charles Shaw. Uh, John Davis does not have a Wikipedia page, which is very interesting. But he does have a Twitter presence, and he has continued to perform. He's performed with lots of people. Uh, he is at John Davis RMV on Twitter. He's got some delicious-looking baked goods on his Twitter feed. And he, as 
recently as 2015 uh, worked with Fab Morvan to attempt a comeback. And I believe it was mentioned in one of the articles I read that the comeback was a mild success. So you can find, like I said, you can find John Davis, you can find Fab Morvan online. We're not going to link to all their social media, both because we don't have permission and because it would. there's so many people involved in this, it would take a long, long list in our show notes. Um, but we do link to the articles we use. So at least you can either find them based on names or you can find them uh, based on the information we provide you. Uh, let's talk about Brad Howell. You've probably forgotten who Brad Howell is, haven't you? Yeah, there's been so many people. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up Brad Howell last, and he is bit, he was the linchpin in this in many ways vocally. He's an American uh, musician. He has played a lot of instruments, and he was the major singer in... Millie Vanilli. He was the singer who Rob Pilatus lip-synced. I feel terrible. I know I'm pronouncing that name wrong. And so he was the the non-rapper who did a lot of the R&B singing. And he has just continued to work as a keyboardist and pianist and stuff like that for different people. He's worked with Peter Gabriel, Cindy Lauper, Madonna, Lionel Richie, Don Henley, Cher, Tina Turner, George Michael, Jonathan Jackson, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen, and Kenny Loggins. Wow. So is he just a studio artist that just works in the studio with people? It seems like that is was a big part of his career. Okay. He, he was also part of the real Millie Vanilli. So he was part of Millie Vanilli, and then he was also part of the real Millie Vanilli. And he's continued to play piano and keyboard after the real Millie Vanilli. So let's talk about the real Millie Vanilli. Frank Farian had already had this group of people record this album, or at least most of it, called The Moment of Truth. It was meant to be Millie Vanilli's second album. Uh, but once the news broke that there had been lip syncing and they had to return their Grammy and everything, uh, Frank Farian didn't want it to go to waste. So he renamed the group The Real Millie Vanilli. He changed the cover art to feature the singers and a man named Ray Horton who was not a singer on the album. He kind of looked like uh, Rob Pilatus. And they put him on the album cover, but he wasn't involved at all except modeling. (laughs) What? Yes. What is the deal with this Frank dude? Frank likes fakes, apparently. Yeah. I didn't didn't go into where Rob Howell went, or Ray Horton. Not Rob Howell. Rob Howell isn't even in anybody's name. It's Brad Howell. (laughs) This is so confusing. There's so many people involved. And then in terms of performers, uh, they added Gina Muhammad and Michael Byron. I didn't actually look up where Gina or Michael went. Michael is apparently deceased. They did not release the moment of truth in the United States. It was released in Brazil, Europe, Asia, and New Zealand. It reached the top 20 in Germany. So they were slightly popular in Germany. What is also odd is Linda and Jody Rocco are credited as being members of the real Millie Vanilli, but are also in many places not credited as members. Like they're not included on the Wikipedia page. And while they are part of the real Millie Vanilli website, the real uh, there's no indication that they performed on the album that I could find. But <laughs> they're kind of credited. 
So and maybe it got sampled or maybe they used something from previous recording sessions or maybe they were in the group and it's just like lacking information. It's, it's complicated. It is truly like, who do you talk to about this and what do they have to say about it? So it is sad <laughs> in terms of the sheer volume of vitriol that Fab and Rob had to deal with. They're to some extent responsible for the defrauding they did because they knew they weren't performing. They also had ostensibly been promised that they would get to perform. Frank Farian never made good on that. And then they continued to make music after the scandal broke. And then the remaining members of the, I guess, I guess it was kind of a conspiracy, but it seems like the Rocco sisters didn't know that Millie Vanilli was using separate voices. Brad Howell probably knew because he was being snuck in at night to record stuff. Charles Shaw definitely knew because he was talking about it. But did he know at the time when he was recording that his voice would be used for other people or not? And then did Frank Farian plan this all in like a big mastermind thing? Or was he just like, yeah, we'll just use this. Yeah, we'll just use that. We need some front guys. We need some guys that are young and and hip. Like, how much of this was pre-planned conspiracy type stuff? How much of it was just like, yeah, we need some information. We need some, we, we need this, we need that. Yeah, I don't know. So. It just, it seems so engineered that I, I, I feel like he's, it's been done so many different times with boy bands and stuff that they just slot in people who they think look good and mm-hmm. then... And then, like, use varying degrees of these people's talents uh, in the actual bands and recordings. Agreed. It is very interesting to see how all this stuff is treated and, like, who has what story behind everything and who did what, when, and how. Right. Obviously, Rob and Fabio never performed... Uh, any part except for dancing around and lip syncing, you know, but at the same time, I feel like they were totally manipulated by Frank into, you know, just doing this so that someday they would be able to perform their real voices. It's, it's sad, really. It's very sad. Uh, it is sad that Frank seems to have run off to Germany to keep working and then just let Arista Records and Rob and Fab deal with it. it it's, it's all very strange. It is very indicative of the sort of churning machine of the music industry, particularly image-based music. Oh, yeah. And especially at that time. Especially at that time. Well, and I also think it's very telling that there was not a large push. The, like these albums or these singles were wildly popular and they did have music videos, uh, but these singles were wildly popular. Why wasn't there more interest in the actual singers? And why was it felt that Frank Farian needed to add a doppelganger of Rob to the album cover of the moment of truth of a man that did not perform? It's, 
it's all very strange. So it's weird, and it's big enough to have been a ska band, to be honest. And they really <laughs> could have, if Frank had been thinking about it, he could have just gotten everyone together, and they could have been just like a giant band. They needed a, t- a trombone and a trumpet, and they could have done it. <laughs> exactly. And and uh, pork pie hats for everybody. Uh, <laughs> and it wouldn't have been the worst idea. I mean, these people were working for not a lot of money. Uh, the two women who were background singers got paid like 600 bucks. The guy who did all the rapping got paid $6,000. I have no idea how much money Millie Vanilli made as, a, as an entity, uh, but it was a ton. Oh, I believe that Rob and Fab came up with the name for the group, Millie Vanilli. I saw that credited in a Billboard article, but I've seen a lot credited in a lot of different places, so it's involved. But a lot of these people seem to be doing okay, which is good. Uh, and I wish them well. God, what do your notes look like? I'm just imagining like you sitting in a room like with, you know, like an old time police dramas where you have like a thumbtack and you've got the yarn and you wrap it around and you pull it to <laughs> someone else. And then like, <laughs> and so it I- all centers on Frank Farian. <laughs> <laughs> I look like Charlie from Always Sunny, <laughs> pointing, looking crazy. Um, I, well, I started by breaking down the events of 1988 to 1990 and then went through a list of people because I felt like that was the best way. If I just went through, like, where did Charles Shaw go? What was his whole story? Where did uh, Rob Pillis's go? Where's his whole story? I kind of did Rob and Fab together because they are so... Uh, joined in this story particularly because they stuck together during and after which I think is really nice I think it's a testament to their friendship and that Fab paid for Rob to be able to go to rehab before they moved back to Germany and things like that like I think that's really nice that's excellent friendship Uh, and a lot of friendships do not make it through such an ugly situation so yeah and addiction etc it's something that they should be proud of because uh, that would have been really difficult and i was i was wondering today it's like man would this be better or worse now would this be harder on them or through social media and the fact that there's like scandals every 15 seconds would it have just blown over <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I think there was a facade at the time of people in authority or people who are making money being honest or being considered trustworthy sources. Mm-hmm. And I think this was particularly shocking. And there were so many class action lawsuits because people were horrified that they'd been lied to. And at this point, you're just like, yeah, they lied. What else is new? So that's what I, I wonder. To, I have to say, though, I don't think this would have happened now. There is so much auto-tuned music mm-hmm. on in pop music now. They wouldn't even have to have had someone else sing. They could just change Robin Fab's voices to be how they wanted. That's a really good point. And I mean, ostensibly, they could sing. It might not have been as well as Charles Shaw and John Davis and Brett Howell. Uh, I'm not trying to knock those three men's talent uh i don't know i don't know why they didn't just use their voices 
Frank wanted it to be something different. And he, you know, I'm assuming, I don't know, I'm assuming he was like, I want this to sound like the new cool sound on the West Coast of the United States. So I'm going to bring in people that sound more like that instead of like Rob and Fab. And it was all engineered. You just, you just reminded me of part of why it wouldn't have worked the way that, why people started getting suspicious. And I didn't include this. Um, Do you mind if I interrupt you? No. So Rob was from Germany. Yes. And Fab was probably born in Guadeloupe, raised in France. Yeah, they had French speaking. Yes. And they had excellent grasp of English, but they had thick accents, very distinct accents. And uh, not unpleasant ones, but it adjusted how they sang. So it became obvious when they were singing that they were not uh, singing the way that Charles Shaw rapped, the way that John Davis rapped, the way that Brad Howell sang. Uh, Because I believe Charles Shaw is American, Brad Howell's American. I don't know why everybody was in Munich all of a sudden in 1988, but I guess why not? So it was a confluence of American voices being used with uh, very not American accented frontmen. So that was part of Mm -hmm. the difficulty of using the pre-recorded material and using Robin Fab. Yeah, that was one of my guesses, to be honest, because obviously it sounded like Fab was, is Fab the French one? Yes. It sounded like Fab would have been French speaking uh, originally and uh, Rob probably, even though his dad was from the U.S., like he grew up in Germany, so he'd have a German accent. He was adopted by a German family. He spoke German. Mm-hmm. And they both spoke English. And like I said, their English was very good. They just had distinctive accents. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. I mean, Sarah and I have distinctive accents and we have I. English is my first language and only language. You speak some German, right? Yes. Yes. And Spanish. Yeah, I speak a little Spanish too, but enough to teach my kid a little Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I sound like I'm from the Midwest. Yeah, same here. And Uh, when people talk to me here, they're like, you're not from here, are you? (laughs) I was like, well, I've lived here for like 11 years. But no, originally I grew up in the Midwest for the most part. Do you always get, ooh, it's cold there? Oh, my God, yes. That's the only reaction I have to having been from Michigan. Although occasionally people will ask if like Detroit is as bad as they say. And then I point out, no, it's doing all right. It's, you know, it had some very tough times economically and, and difficult environmental issues, but they're doing all right and they're improving. Uh, (laughs) But it's usually asked in a genuine, curious way, not in a like, oh, Detroit. It's more like, is Detroit really that bad? So. Yeah. Or, oh, it's cold up there. I couldn't live there. And I mean, yeah, it is cold up there, but there's more snow here than there was there. Yeah, interestingly, here in this region of of North Carolina, we have a lot of people from New York. Yeah, we do. So it's so interesting to me the not only the the cultural differences between people from New York 
and North Carolina, but all the Midwesterners we have too, it's like this melting pot of the South and the Northeast and the Midwest. It's interesting here. It is. It is a very interesting place. You can go to a place, uh, hopefully, before COVID, you could go to a place and hear someone with like a thick New Jersey accent. Yeah, the guy we buy our pizza from has a very thick Mm-hmm. I think he's from Jersey. I don't. He runs a New York style pizza place. Um, it's good pizza. Ricky's New York Pizza. If you're ever in Durham, but yeah, he's got a thick accent. He's lived in North Carolina for thirty years. Mm-hmm. So, and if we wanted to make a group with him that sounded like they were from California, we would either have to get him voice lessons and work on his uh accent or you know hire someone else to sing for him and then he would have to dance or make pizza (laughs) (laughs) he could make pizza in the video he could if he wanted to uh (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to pull it back no i get it you're totally correct i totally know where where you're going with this you are entirely accurate we would have to hire someone uh, to get him to be a credible face for a California feel uh, music group experience experiment, etc. But why would we do that? Why would we just not just be honest and just use his voice and be authentic about it? That's the thing that I don't get. Like, I truly have no idea. Yeah. I would rather use that guy's authenticity and play that up than, you know, trying to make him into something else and then have downtown Julie Brown cross him out in a trailer when the backing track fails. I feel like Frank Farian seems to have decided that if he recorded something in a studio, he was going to sell it no matter what. Yeah. And if he was going to sell it, he was going to sell it in the way that he thought made the most sense, whether or not it actually made sense. Oh, yeah. He could have been like, this is the trend now, and this is how we're going to make buckets of money. Yeah. Probably how he was going to make buckets of money. Yeah. I doubt anybody else really made buckets of money. I don't know. Uh, I truly don't know how the finances all shook out. I couldn't find that information. And it might be legally private at this point because of all the lawsuits. Or it might be legally public, and you'd have to read through a lawsuit. I'm not doing that. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh. So, yeah, that's where Millie Vanilli's voices went. A lot of them are still performing. Uh, unfortunately, one of the members of Millie Vanilli passed away. Uh, they kept performing until the moment uh, Rob Pilatus passed away. And uh, Frank Marvo Morvan? Morvan. Ugh, sorry. Fab. Fab. I said Frank, didn't I? Yeah, but that's okay. There are so many damn people in this thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Fab. Fab <laughs> still performs. Uh, so yeah, that's where they went. And you can find us at wheredoesitpodcast.com, uh, wheredoesitpodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to correct me on my pronunciations, because I guarantee they were not good. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and if you felt like supporting us financially, we, you can donate directly to us on our website or through our Patreon, which we might start offering. I actually haven't run this by Sarah, so I'll do it live. Uh, <laughs> uh, a listener to the show ended up purchasing a title from the Micronation of Sealand for a friend, <gasps> which was pretty cool. 
And so I think it might be funny if we did tiers uh, of Patreon support where we offer titles and actually provide like a certificate of title. I love this so much. I got to figure out a way to do it where we don't like accidentally create some sort of legal issue because I don't want to deal with that. But uh, so are we going to become our own micronation? I mean, that would be pretty fun. I'm kind of into it. (laughs) Then we could go to the conference. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's probably going to be digital this year. It's still well, be fun digital. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to take the bus there. Yes. So it has to be after COVID. Yes. Unless it's in another country, then we can't take the bus there. <laughs> I mean, we could drive it. If we drive it to Central or South America, it would just be one of the many chicken buses that you talked about. So. Truth. And FYI, Emily's referencing the uh, episode we did about the about sealant and micronations. It's one of our earlier episodes. You can find it on our website. And also Sarah talked about, so Sarah talked about sealant and Sarah talked about where old school buses go. That's just mm-hmm. why I'm mentioning chicken buses and Central and South America. Uh, she, you did a great job on both of those episodes. I highly recommend listening to both. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you.